In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Lake Church. How we doing? So good to be with you. Uh, we had a fun week at Arise. Did everybody enjoy Arise this year? Amen. Some of you cheered and weren't even here, so I don't know how you could say that, but I'm uh, so glad that maybe you watched online. Maybe that's what it was. So uh, honored to be able to uh, uh, lead you in the word this morning. Um, I get in these veins where, um, where the Lord's ministering something to me, and I just kind of stay in that vein for months at a time. I think that's normal for ministers. And so um, the thing that I want to talk about this morning is, is, is super simple, but I just want to talk about the goodness of God. Um, here's the thing. I think the church is really good at knowing how bad the devil is. Like, honestly, I could get up here and I could preach about the heathenism going on in the world. I could talk about all the favorite things, the hot topics, transgenderism and all these things. And we would rage and love every second of it. Uh, and so I think we're really good about recognizing how evil the world is. But truthfully, I think the enemy is good at blinding us and numbing us to continuing discovering the goodness of God. You know, when I was 19, I used to say God is good. And, and you know, g- generic statement we all say, and I meant it. I mean, I, I encountered God in a, in a miraculous way at 17. I got radically born again. I, I walked free from everything that held me in bondage in just an instant moment with him. And it was crazy. And so I'd say God is good in that moment. But I know now at 27, when I say, and I I'm, know I'm not old, but at 27, when I say God is good, I have, I have some history now. I have some history. And it means a lot more in this season because I'm continually, on, I'm continually discovering how good he is. And so I want to ask a question to kind of get the atmosphere in the room right. I want you to raise your hand if God has healed your body in the last year. Wow. Amen. You can put that down. I want you to raise your hand if, if, if God has healed your, your, your soul, so depression, anxiety, something of that nature. Raise your hand. Wow. Wow. I love that. I can raise my hand as well. He's so good. He's so good. Um, isn't it funny how good within culture changes so rapidly? And I'm not even talking about the weirdness in the world. I'm just talking about how things that we thought were cool at one point are no longer cool. Facebook is the worst thing in the world. I had some of the worst hairstyles ever. I hope I don't look back on this one and think, what were you doing, guy? But, I mean, I had just an undercut, and I was bald, and I had long hair. I'm like, what are we doing? I used to pop my collar back in middle school, and when I would pop my collar, I used to think I was so cool. Was that a thing in the 80s, too? Did y'all do that? Okay. And so we look back on, you know, what, what, what is considered good, and, and, and good within culture is constantly changing, and it varies depending on the person. When I would trick-or-treat as a kid, as a kid, I don't trick-or-treat anymore. I know that's the devil's holiday, okay? I get it now. But uh, my dad, I'm looking around to make sure he's not in the room so I can pick on him. Okay, he's not. My dad would not let me touch any of the candy until we got home. Um, and so we would get home. I'd have this massive bag of candy, and this was the policy every time. It's 11 o'clock. I'm di- I haven't got to touch the candy all night uh, because he had it on lockdown because he had to inspect every single piece. And his claim was, you never know if a drug addict's going to lace the candy and try to harm you. 
I, when I did drugs, I, I didn't wanna give them away, so I didn't understand that <laughs> concept. I'm like, I don't think anybody's stashing their cocaine in my <laughs> Twizzlers. Um, I never understood that. And so this is the thing. His perspective and my perspective on this being a good event was very different for him. He was good. He loved me. So he's inspect. I mean, I'm talking, you know, flipping it over. This one's crumpled a little bit. It must be, you know, filled with crack cocaine or something like that, thrown in the pile. And at the end, you would have two piles. And I don't know how hardcore you guys are, but my dad was hardcore. The pile of throwaway was as big as the pile of keep every time. And the pile of throwaway, I promise you, it always had the best candy. I'm like, I want to dig that out of the trash. You know what I mean? Like, I cannot. And, and, and now I'm actually convinced, and parents, maybe you can tell me because I'm, I'm not one of those yet. Uh, uh, I'm actually convinced maybe he just kept that pile for himself. And he was lying the whole time. All the parents are like, yeah, that's what we do. I think that's what it was. I think he took the potentially drug-infused candy, <laughs> stuffed it in his closet, and kept it for himself, because, wow, okay, yeah, it's so good, good varies, good, 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 good varies, styles change, culture changes, fashion changes, all these things that we approve of, disapprove of, it, it, it varies in culture, but I'm so thankful today I'm so thankful today that I serve a God who does not change. Malachi 3.6, I'm the Lord, I change not. I'm the Lord, I change not. I don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder what God's posture is towards me. I don't have to go to bed at night struggling with my standing with God. I don't have to question where my relationship with, his, with him is. Like, I don't, have to, I don't have to fret about this because he has declared that he is the Lord and he changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I don't have to question him. I, wanna, I want us to turn um, in our Bibles to Romans chapter 2. And Pastor Kevin was all over this last Sunday. But I just feel like the church needs this. And so Romans chapter 2 and in verse number 4, scripture that we all know, but don't let what is common to you lose its power. It, and so Romans 2, 4, it says this, Do you presume, presume on the riches of God's kindness and his patience, not knowing that God's goodness is meant to lead you to repentance? And so what this sets up this up for is this gives us the strategy by which God desires to change the world. And, and, and not only change the world, but how to change the individual. God's strategy for getting us to himself and winning us to himself is not by getting and, and, and preaching how hot hell is. It's not by trying to keep the commandments, teach the law, you know, break down the Levitical priesthood and to look at all these details and honor every feast and festival that I couldn't even tell you when they are. It, it, it's not in those things. It's God's goodness that would cause us to repent. Or in other words, it's God's goodness that would cause us to change our mind. Listen, rules, religion, all that whack stuff never appealed to me. I honestly thought, like most of you thought, and I was just thinking, I'll just give my life to Jesus on my deathbed because that sounds really boring. 
Christians sound lame. Why would I want to just keep rules and do this and that? So I was just like, I'll just wait until I'm in the hospital room and I'm about to close my eyes for the last time and I'll cry out to Jesus. And, and, and what God did to win me over, and I know this is the truth for probably everybody in the room, is, is he was good to me. <laughs> he was good to me. In fact, he wasn't just good to me. He was better than everything else. And, and once again, I think we're, we're, we're so easily acquainted with, with the bad things in the world and we're so easily caught up in, 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 in the whackness that you wouldn't even know about if you didn't even have media. You, you would hardly know. Occasionally you might run into a weirdo in the street and be like, what is this? But you wouldn't know it on a mass scale without just saturating yourself in media. But we're, we're, we're so bad, I think, at just remembering like the depths of his goodness. And, and we get caught up in things, and, and I think there's going to be liberation in this place today. I know there's going to be liberation in this place today. We get caught up in things, and we get hung up on things that God's not hung up on. We struggle with things that we think are the end-all, be-all, and that cause so much condemnation in and of ourselves, and we're so caught up in performance and, 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 and dominated by what we think is a big deal. And literally, the recipe that got you born again is the exact same recipe that gets you free in everything. And, like, we make it hard. We think that it, it comes from accountability partners, and we think it comes from, uh, you know, uh, therapists and all these different things and whatever. I'm not knocking any of those things, but what I am telling you is that the recipe stays the same. What got you in the door is what keeps you walking through new doors with him. And what got you in the door was not that somebody got up and told you, hey, you needed to be a better person. What got you in the door was in a moment you heard the gospel and you realized that God was better than everything you gave your life to up to that point. In a moment you experienced a love that you had never experienced before. In a moment you realized, oh my goodness, this, this, this person that I've been running from, this Jesus I've heard about, this Jesus that maybe I would visit a few times at church from time to time, like he's literally better than it all. But the problem is, as I'm saying this in this room, is some of you still don't know that. Know that. And so you're struggling with things that just aren't a big deal. Can I say something else? I'm going to anyways. I don't, I don't care, actually. I don't know why I asked. I was just being kind. I'm not, I'm not actually asking. If you said no, I'd still say it. So the devil's not powerful. I, the, the church acts like he's got something going on. He doesn't. The, the devil is not powerful. When Jesus was, was teaching his disciples how to pray in Matthew 6, he says, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power. The devil has actually never been powerful. He, he doesn't have the ability to be because he's a created being, so he can't exercise and create. Only God holds power. And so... Church culture that, that often promotes how good of a job the devil's doing and, and oh, he's doing real good at deceiving and, 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 and these ideas of, wow, he's really at work in our young people and I can't believe how far he's gone. Listen to me. The only thing that he can do is whisper in your ear and convince you that God isn't good and you believe it. He doesn't have power. He doesn't have power. He didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't come down this morning and make your coffee taste bad so that you'd be, have a bad attitude and, and, and yell at your spouse. He, he, didn't, he didn't show up last night and, and, and keep you up all night because he's just powerful being or anything. No, no, no. He doesn't have power. Yeah. 
Have you read Colossians 2.15? Have you, have you read that? If you haven't, I, I recommend you do. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities. And then it goes on to give this picture that he paraded him through the streets on public display. He literally made a parade and Satan being defeated was the centerpiece of it all so that everybody in the spirit realm would know. And he put it in the word of God so his church can know. Church is not, the, 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 the devil is not powerful. I feel like I can say that 17 more times. I tell my youth this sometimes, like I want to look you all in the eyes and just make you aware that he has no power. He has no power. Mm. Would you turn to Revelations chapter 12? I named this All Right because... uh, Honestly, I kept hearing Matthew McConaughey's voice in my head. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to pretend like it was a holy moment. But, but the Lord just began to minister to me about it, that the church just settles for all right. Like, we're just good with all right. And, um, and so I'm here to call us to higher ground this morning. I just want us to relish in his goodness. So look, let's look at Revelation chapter 12. Let's look at verse number, we'll start in verse number seven. I want, I want to expose the enemy this morning, and I just really want to preach a big God. That's my desire. Like, I want you to walk away knowing how ridiculously good he is, because the depths of his goodness determine the depths of my freedom. The depths of the awareness of his goodness. That's it. That's it. The depths of my awareness of his goodness determine the depths of my personal freedom. You hearing me? If I and much of the church is confused about God is good because the enemy is so good at deception and blinding people and manipulation. And if I fall for it and I don't understand how good he is at all times, it's a temptation for me to fall back into slavery. Revelations 12, verse number 7, it says, Now a war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. I'm not going to get into, I'm not reading this to get into um, um, end time study or anything like that. I just want to expose the enemy. And so, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient, ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers, underline that, if you haven't already, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them, speaking of the saints, the church, day and night before our God? So for a moment, I want to talk to you about the courtroom of heaven. And you hear both voices, if you're born again, inside of you. Spiritually, obviously, there, we, we have a heavenly zeon, but inwardly, you hear the dialogue constantly going on 
between two different people, the accuser, and you hear this one usually the loudest. A lot of the church hears this aloud. You hear the accuser. And then you also have a beautiful thing called an advocate. We'll get into that. And so you have an advocate, meaning a defense lawyer, and, and, and that's revealed to be Jesus. And so you hear these two voices warring inside of your soul when you miss it, when you mess up, when you've been lazy, when you have struggled with whatever. And what you hear is, is you hear this war going on constantly between what Jesus has to say and what the devil accuses you of. This is his role. This is what he does. Day and night, it says, is he stands before the Father and he makes accusations about what you did wrong. Can I tell you the crazy part is, is the accusations he's making about you are actually correct. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you really did that. I would make a really bad defense lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, I did that. Yeah, you don't do that in court. But, like, like they're right. They're just missing some information. Like, they're, they're accurate. Like, yeah, I did that. You're right. I am guilty. I am guilty. But then you have this other voice talking about the advocate. 1 John 2.1, it says, if anyone sin, uh, uh, he has an advocate with the Father. That word is parakletos. And what that means is, is that means somebody near enough to judge the situation. And he's revealed to be Jesus. And so you have this war going on on the inside of you. You have the devil accusing you day and night before God. But then you have a defense attorney on the other side defending you, and his name is Jesus. I, I, I got the opportunity. I, I make, that makes it sound like it was a good thing. My aunt, when I was young, went missing. I know a lot of you know this story. Uh, but she went missing in, like, 2001, and uh, we knew who did it. It was her boyfriend, obviously. Uh, it was a cold case file, though, because there was no information. And so this is just uh, a, a wild, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they turned it into a TV show at some point, because it's just one of those wild cold cases. And so my aunt was taken from me when I was like five or six. And so I got a picture of how the court system works throughout this process, because what had happened was, is the alleged killer who we knew it was, but there was no evidence, so to speak, so we couldn't do anything about it. He was getting older. He was going to die without a trial. And so the defense attorney that we had was like, hey, it's now or never. And so he pushed. He pushed to go ahead and rush this trial and to try to do something. Like, we might as well take a shot in the dark and see what we can do. And so I remember the first time I'm sitting next to my mom. So this is her sister. I'm sitting next to my mom, and I remember him walking in the room. And it, for me, it was like a TV show. It was like like crazy that I was even in this event, walking in in the orange jumpsuit, handcuffs on, escorted by security guards. And I remember looking my aunt's murder in the eyes for the first time in years. I remember looking at him and thinking, you are a monster. I remember thinking, you deserve the death penalty. You're terrible. I remember thinking all these things. And, and then later on, fast forward, we, 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 we get down the line and we're in the actual uh, uh, where the jury is going to decide the case. And I remember he was sitting over there, um, and the jury was, 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 was deciding the case. And I remember sitting over there, and I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me. And this might upset people, but I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me in the craziest way. 
and begin to minister to me about how ridiculously good God is compared to humans. And what he began to minister to me is, even if he is determined guilty in this court, if he accepts my son, he would be declared innocent in mine. Now, this man killed my aunt. And I just remember all of those feelings of hatred, all of those feelings of disgust and, you know, that it really it's the pain that I've seen my mom and my grandma, who's now passed at the time, the, the, the pain of them go through not knowing. But I could not shake the fact that God was telling me if he was in my court and he accepted my son, he'd be innocent. And in that moment, I was just overwhelmed with compassion and I realized like if I could have five minutes with this guy, it wouldn't be I hate you, it wouldn't be trying to punch him in the face. It would be what Jesus would wanna communicate. It would be, hey, God loves you. And there's hope if you place your trust in Jesus. Now tell me, tell me what, what kind of God, what kind of God would even send his own son to die for his enemies? Before, before we could ever do anything to earn it, before we could ever do anything to prove ourselves, before we could ever do anything to, 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 to justify anything, like he already gave Jesus. But the same was true for the murderer that I was looking at. And the javel came down and the judge said guilty on all accounts. And there was a celebration in the room because it was crazy because they never found her body. And so the, the court case being closed without uh, evidence was, was ridiculous, but all I could think of, if he accepts Jesus, he's not guilty. Aren't you grateful? <laughs> Hear me out. Aren't you grateful that your defense attorney is Jesus? The enemy, just as he did in Job, he comes before the Father and he makes accusations on your behalf day and night. He brings up your resume, he brings up your past, he brings up your wrongs, he brings up your shortcomings. We got plenty of them, and he's spot on with all of them. He's not even lying in those moments. He's just looking at the history. The thing I love about Jesus is, what I love about the gospel, probably my favorite thing, is that, that the Son of God took on flesh. The fact that Jesus would humble himself so much to take on the form of his own creation limited himself to a body, not just while he was on the earth, but forever. Like he's still seated today at the right hand of God, and you know what he is? He's a man. Flesh. Perfect flesh now, but flesh. But what I love about the resurrection story, and we see this with Peter, is, is that he chose, he didn't have to, but he chose to keep the markings of his crucifixion in his hands. Remember, Peter didn't believe. And he said, here, Peter, touch my hands. He still had the holes. He still had the marks. And so this is, this is the image I have for you this morning. And I just want to silence the voice of condemnation 
in the house. I want to silence the voice of, of, of not enough. I want to silence the voice that comes, that, that, that comes to accuse you day and night. And, and, and this is the picture that God gave me. When the enemy stands up in the courtroom of heaven and begins to accuse me, Jesus is seated right next to the judge. He's seated right next to him. And as the enemy begins to make accusations, he doesn't even have to get up from his seat to do anything because he has the perfect evidence. He has the absolute perfect evidence, and all Jesus has to do as your defense attorney is lift up his hands. What does him lifting up his hands symbolize? What does it symbolize? The debt's already been paid on that one. I've already paid the price for that crime. I've already paid the price for that, 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 that sin. I've already paid the price for whatever it is. He just has to raise his hand. And you're standing in front of the, the, the presence of God, and you deserve exactly what the enemy's saying, but grace. I already paid. Jesus is saying to you this morning, I already paid the price. Already paid. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't care where you're at. I don't care how how messed up you are. I've been in, I've, I've I've been messed up and I still had the title pastor. It does not matter. His grace is sufficient. And there's levels of his goodness that are waiting for you to be explored. And it should, as we walk hand in hand with the Lord. It's not that opposition doesn't come. It obviously does. But listen, it should, your, your, your realization of his goodness should get bigger and bigger and bigger. Would you turn in your Bible to John 14? Are you all right this morning? just want to continue to minister on his goodness. John 14, verse number 8. It said, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And so prove yourself, basically is what he's saying. Prove yourself by just showing up the Father. It'll validate everything you've taught us this far. And then Jesus' response to him is, have I not been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? And then he reveals something that's so important for every believer in this room to remember at all times. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Let me say that again. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so God shows up on the scene, takes on the suit of a man, and he wants to clarify all the mysticism that has been surrounding his name, all the false accusations that have been coming up against him, all these different ideas, these whack denominational ideas that people come up with. And he simply just says, Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Turning the Bible to Hebrews 1 now. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so what Jesus is doing this, in this moment is, is he's taking away all the excuses. He's taking away all the thoughts. He's taking away all the things that grandma passed down, traditions of men, all these ridiculous ideas about who God was, and he's clearing it all up. And he's saying, you have seen the Father because you've seen me. 
And so what that means is, is that the way in which God operates and moves and behaves and acts is only confined in how Jesus lives, moves, and acts, which is perfect because you and I need an example. He wanted to clear up his name. He wanted to make sure that you and I understood that, listen, I know people are going to come and say, God doesn't do this, and that God does this, and that God does these kind of things, and that God's teaching you lessons, and that God took that person from you, and now they're a sweet little angel in heaven. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, none of that's true. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so what that means is I cannot point my finger at God and accuse him of something that I cannot see Jesus doing in his earthly ministry. I'm limited. I'm, I, I'm limited to a, a explaining and experiencing God based upon what I see in Jesus. He will not act contrary to the way Jesus acted because they were one. Look at Hebrews 11. Sorry, Hebrews 1. My bad. I told you right. We're going to cut loose in a minute. Hebrews 1, verse number 1. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the whole world. Listen to verse number three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the expression of the glory of God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, and he is the exact imprint of his nature. When you look at this word in the Greek, um, it gives the idea of a signet ring, I think is the best way to communicate it. And back in the day, royalty, uh, people of prominence, when they would write letters, they would have a signet ring. And what they would do is they would dip it in a wax and they would seal it. So when the messenger sent a letter, it wasn't a fraud. They would know because when they saw the signet on the envelope, they would know Richard sent this or they would know whoever sent this. And so it was a testimony because the the signet was the exact replication of what the ring stood for. And that's the picture that, that is being painted here of Jesus is, is that Jesus was the exact expression of the nature of God. Now, when I read the Bible, sometimes I just wonder if I'm reading the same Bible as people. I ran in the other day to some Jehovah's Witnesses. Anybody ever run into Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah? So when I first got saved, I hated running into Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, because I didn't know the Bible, <laughs> and uh, I was awkward. And here's the thing with Jehovah's Witnesses, a lot of what they, like, a lot of what they say is like spot on, <coughs> okay? I don't know if you've talked to them enough, but they, they started talking to me. I was just trying to drink a coffee, and they wanted to talk because I had my Bible open, um, and they wanted to talk. And um, I kind of didn't want to, but I did anyways. And... And uh, when, they're, when they're talking to you, I, they asked if I would mind talking with them. I'm like, absolutely. I'll discuss anything with anyone as long as the word is common ground for you and I both. And what I mean by that is I can have a discussion with anyone from any type of background as long as we both agree that the scripture is the perfect word of God. Let me give you some advice. Stop arguing with people that don't believe the word of God is perfect. You are wasting your breath. Because they don't have a true north. Their truth changes depending upon how they're feeling. You cannot conversate with somebody 
when truth constantly is evolving for them. And so told these sweet little old ladies, uh, I was like, yeah, we can talk. And we started talking, and we started talking scripture, and it was great. Everything was good. And then I hit 1 Corinthians 6, 17. And I said, well, you know, the, the 1 Corinthians 6, 17 talks about how we're one spirit with Jesus. And then the conversation got real stale. You just said you believe the Bible. I mean, you can read that in there yourself. And then I just thought, you know what? Conversation's already awkward. I'm just going to hit Mark 16 while I'm on this. <laughs> I'll just amp it all the way up. Turn it up to 100. I was like, well, you know, it says, you know, we can do the works of Jesus, cast out, and we're commissioned to cast out devils. And, and this is what they said. This is what they said. They said, well, that's, that's in the end times for the 144,000. <laughs> that are the brothers, and super, the brothers and sisters of Jesus and super anointed. And I was like, it was written to the church in Corinth. <laughs> Who was not anointed? They were not the, I mean, in the early chapters, I mean, home dude was hooking up with his stepmom. You know what I mean? Like weird stuff going on in Corinth. Some of y'all didn't know that was in the Bible. That is in there. <laughs> the Bible does not shy away from weird stuff, okay? Come on. And, and I was like, Oh. And so what does this mean? It, 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 their limitation of the depths of the goodness of God is dependent upon, it's dependent upon the word. It's dependent upon where they're at with Jesus. They can't get past what they believe. And when the word's not common ground, uh, uh, you can't get past that. And so look at, back at three. He's the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint. I don't have to be whacked out on the way that God is. I don't have to be confused on the way that God is. I don't have to be distressed at how God is. I don't have to wonder how he's feeling about me. Why? Because I can look in the gospels and I can see Jesus. And I can see the way he deals with people. And not one time do I ever see Jesus make an excuse for why God's not doing something and it being on God's end. Not one time did Jesus come up to somebody and say, the reason that you're not well in your body, brother, is because. The Pharisees tried to bring out these arguments, and Jesus shot every one of them down. He never has these kind of excuses. In fact, what we see is, is we see nothing but good. We see nothing but good. Would you turn in your Bible to Psalms 31? I got lots of scripture for you. Psalm 31, let's look at verse number 19. It says this, it says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness. How great is your goodness. That word goodness there sometimes is translated prosperity. How great, how enormous, how ridiculous is your goodness. And then it says this, it says, Which you have stored up for me, which you have stored up for those who fear you. And so when I'm reading Psalm 31, I come to this realization 
God has stored up goodness for me. Stored up as in a treasure. I remember when we would go out on the lake as a kid, I remember, I don't know why I thought there were pirates on Keystone Lake, but I did as a kid. <laughs> me and my stepbrother used to run around in the woods on the lake and think we were going to find some buried treasure or something. Well, one time I found $20 blown on a tree. Like it was just like wrapped around a tree. And I was like, wow. My hypothesis was that uh, somebody robbed a bank, the plane went down or something like that. And there was money all out there. And so I was running around looking for all that cash. There was, I only found 20 bucks, but at 10, that made you feel pretty rich. But in the presence, in, God has this treasure stored up for you and I. And what's, what's inside? His goodness. But then it goes on to say, it says, for those who fear you. And then that kind of like, eh, I don't really like that part. Maybe you could just leave that out. But when we begin to look at the fear of the Lord and what it is, it simply just means to regard him first. It's not this to be afraid of. It's just to understand this. And, 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 and let me be very clear with this. God is better. God is better. Some of you are not convinced of that. And that's why you keep flirting around with things that are less than. It's because you're not convinced God's actually better. But he wants to convince you this morning. And so when I regard him at first, he has an abundance of goodness stored up for me. Like, 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 listen, so good that I have a scripture for everything that could go wrong. Like, when I mess it up, when I act like a fool, there's like nothing I can do to get away from his goodness. If I would just regard him first, Romans 8, 28 tells me that he'll work all things for my good. That's incredible. I can be an idiot. I can, they're, 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 I can be a, a total moron and make the dumbest decisions. I know that I'm just talking about myself. None of you have ever made a dumb decision in your life. Just the youth pastor. That's a youth pastor thing. I can make the dumbest decision, and God says that when I regard him as first, when I just simply come into relationship with him, he'll work all things for my good. When trials come my way, what do I find in James? When the enemy brings temptations and when the enemy comes at me to try to damage me and to, and, 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 and to get me off course, what does God do? He begins to refine me. He uses what the enemy that is trying to destroy you, he uses everything that the enemy is bringing at you. He's not the author of it. He's not the author of it. But he uses what the enemy is bringing against you and he uses that trial to refine you. And to make you look more like his son. He uses it. And so it doesn't matter where the attack's coming from. If it's from the enemy or if it's from my own stupid decisions. There's this place where I can experience the goodness of God to such a degree. He works it out anyways. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. And then it goes on to say and says this, and you have worked for those who put their trust in you. And I like this part. It says that he does it in the sight of the children of man. Can I tell you that when you read the Bible, 
when you read some of the stuff in the Old Testament, you read things like God telling Joshua to go into the city and like kill everybody. <laughs> like, oh, it's brutal. But Pastor Greg's done a good job of teaching us that you know, those were giant clans and hybrid beings and that they weren't even humans. And so there's always answers and reasons why. But you read these things and I think sometimes we think like the God of the Old Testament was kind of mean. He was kind of strong, he was kind of harsh. And then at some point he just switched over because of Jesus. Look, he's always been the same. His strategy for winning mankind has always been demonstrating the fact that he is good. You know what he was doing when he called Moses out of Egypt? He called Moses out of, uh, out of Egypt and he split the Red Sea. You know what he was trying to communicate to the Egyptians? I'm the real God. I'm the better one. You know what he was doing when he called out Abram and, and, and produced the children of Israel through, his, through, through him and he made a nation and he called them his people? You know what he wanted the children of Israel to do? He wanted them to showcase his goodness to the world. So that the pagans, that the other people would see his goodness and repent and change their mind, just like Nineveh did. You know, we can learn from the stories of, of, of Samson and, and, and all these mighty heroes of faith that we read about. What can we learn from these is that when we regard first, his goodness never runs out. simply up here this morning to tell you that God is good. I know that's so basic. I know that's nothing profound because we, 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 we minimize that saying and I just feel like sometimes it lessens over time because we have that cliche, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. But I'm telling you that the goodness of God is made to be experienced. And as we age and as we fellowship and as we walk with him, it should manifest in greater levels. Your relationship with God should get sweeter and sweeter, not bitter and more bitter. And so much of the church has been blinded to see just how good God has been to them, just how faithful he's been. We started this service and 50% and, and of you, probably more like 80% after both calls, you were healed from something in your body or you were healed from something in your soul. And did you deserve it? No. But Jesus... Jesus, Jesus, hallelujah. You don't have to turn here, but I'm going to, I'm going to go back to Revelation. He 
He's talking to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2. And he tells them what they're doing good. But then he comes to this part that's more important than everything that they've done. All the works they've accomplished, everything that they're doing right is way more important. And this is where Jesus wants to bring the emphasis. Father, I just thank you that you're in this room. I thank you that you're in this room. And so in verse number five, it says this, remember therefore from where you have come from, change your mind and do the works that you did at first. Why? Because the verse above it reveals that although we may do a lot of things for God, some of us have abandoned the love that we encountered at first. This is such an easy analogy. But remember when you first heard the gospel. I know some of y'all have been born again since you were two years old. remember when you heard the gospel remember when you encountered his goodness for the first time do you remember how ridiculous you were do you remember how foolish you were you thought you and Jesus were gonna change the whole world you were so excited to tell everybody you knew about it what happened the enemy came in and life got hard circumstances arose and just like in Mark chapter 4 persecutions came on account of the word and you allowed the enemy to make your heart bitter and God's here this morning and he wants to soften soften what the enemy what life has hardened can you guys stand to your feet with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jaden, can you sing uh, Give Myself Away? Can you do that one? I just feel called this morning because I know this is where I've been. I'm not preaching from a place I haven't been. God wants to do a heart adjustment in this place. Listen, God is good. The reason why we're here, the reason why we're gathered is because we've all experienced his goodness. But here's the thing is, is it shouldn't be stopping here. The goodness that you and I have received, that the experiences that you and I have had, the continual favor that he bestows upon us every day, the way in which he loves on us, the way in which he's been good to us, it's designed for us to experience that and to take on his fragrance and to walk out these doors and for the world to see that there is something different about those people. They have joy when they shouldn't. They have peace when they shouldn't. They laugh when they shouldn't. There's this supernatural, there's something weird about them and I gotta know the secret. to minister to the Lord. Jaden's going to sing this song. I want us to minister to the Lord this morning.
life is not my own To you I belong I give myself, I give myself to you My life is not my own To you I belong I give myself, I give myself to you My life is not my own To you I belong I give myself, I give myself to you My life is not my own To you I belong I give myself, I give myself to you My life is not my own To you I belong I give myself, I give myself to you My life is not my own To you I belong I give myself, I give myself to you My life is not my own To you I belong I give myself, I give myself to you I give myself, I give myself to you in him. Romans 8:14. <laughs> if him who raised Jesus from the dead now lives on the inside of you, then surely he will quicken your mortal body. He'll make alive your body. Romans 5:8. Before the foundations of the world, God proved his love for me and that he demonstrated his son He demonstrated by sending his son to die. Church, he's better. He's better. He's better. He's better. I'm not preaching nothing new. I'm just here to tell you he's better. He's better. That addiction that you're battling with, I'm telling you he's better. And you don't have to find freedom in an AA meeting. You find it in his presence. That divorce that you haven't healed from. Listen, he's better. The betrayal. The hurt, the pain, the, the, the things that, that, that are so weighing you down in this moment. There are depths of his presence. That if you would just surrender it to him, I'm telling you, he is better. come up at this time I'm fixing to close 
but I have some specific calls. people in this room that have been experiencing some sort of addiction and I just know that the goodness of God is present in this place and I just believe that by faith if you would come up when we close service and get with one of these ministers God just wants to love on you God just wants to love on you through that experience, through him loving on you, it'll be broken in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And then I also know that there are people in this room that have actually never encountered the goodness of God ever. And I just believe that, that there are some of you that he's, he's touching your heart right now. Listen, I promise you he's better. He's better. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to close this service and I just ask that you would make yourself available. You can come up front to these ministers. They'll be glad to pray with you. And so, Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you're good to us. And that the way in which we change is not by trying to do better. It's not by trying to be stronger. It's not by trying to resist more. But the way in which we change God is by discovering new levels of your goodness. And so, Father, I pray, according to Ephesians, that the eyes of these people's hearts would be enlightened, that they would know the hope to which you have called them, the glorious inheritance that you place within the saints, and that they would know the immeasurable power that you have working on their behalf since they believe. And, Father, we just thank you that as we leave this place, our emphasis, our priority, the number one mission of our life would be to know you, to experience you. study. We, we dive deep into the word on Wednesday nights. We want you to be a part of that. And also don't forget about our ministers up front that want to minister to you. You are dismissed. Have a great Sunday.